0: Hey, I want to welcome you today to the Marty McLean podcast. This is episode 17. As you know, in this season of the Marty McLean podcast, we're going to be talking from the book of Ezekiel. and We're going to be making application of the book of Ezekiel to the day in which we live. And of course, living in the United States in the 21st century, in the year 2020, there is so much happening in our world today and in our nation today is the day of the first presidential debate. Now, I am recording this prior to the uh, the presidential debate, so I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if there's an inner earpiece. I don't know if there's a big blow-up. I don't know if something's going to happen before the debate, and it won't take place. So please know that. But we are in a divided nation, and we are in a a nation right now that, personally, I believe uh, we need to turn to God. I believe we have never had more of a need in the life of our nation than we have now to turn to God. And that, first of all, involves God's people, Christians, repenting of sins, getting right with God, and then seeking to be salt and light and however God wants us to be. Now, sometimes people say, well, you know, I believe you need to keep your faith to yourself and your public life should be different from your faith. And that is totally erroneous. How in the world can you be salt and light? if you leave your faith in a little package. Now, I know that we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So there's a lot of wisdom that we need to have as we seek to live our lives for Christ in the world in which we live, especially when you get into the public arena, when you get uh, into politics, so to speak. Now, I am a pastor. I am not a politician. uh, But I do not believe that uh, politics should be void of God. As a matter of fact, if any place in the world needs God, it would be the world of politics So when someone says, okay, you need to leave your religion out of your public life, why don't they say the same thing to atheists? Why don't they tell an atheist? You have to leave your atheism out of your public policy. No, I think an atheist is in a lot of ways driven by their worldview when they form their policy. And so when somebody is asked to totally leave their their faith out of any of of their public life, I think that is just... It's it's erroneous. It's a a false approach. It's a bad approach uh, to take. Now, I really like the words that uh, Christian author and uh, radio personality Eric McTaxas says. Here's what he says, quote, "...you have to make a moral choice and you can't divide politics and your faith. If your faith is lived out, it's going to have to deal with policy and laws and morality." I think it is the job of pastors to know how far they can go with their congregations. If you're worried about losing parishioners, you're worried about the wrong things. You should fear God and fear not speaking when he calls you to speak. That's the role of what it is to lead spiritually, unquote. I, just, uh, I really like that quote, as I said. I think it really brings to light how our faith should influence every aspect of our lives. And when somebody says, well... Know, faith and politics don't mix. Then you're going to have a godless politics, and I don't think we really want that. I think we've seen enough of that. And now I know that there should be an incredible distinction between the church and the state. I, I mean, God established both of those institutions, so I'm not. I don't want the two to blur together. But to tell a judge or a politician that they need to leave their faith out of their public policy, I, I just think that is such a wrong-headed approach. And I don't think that people can be honest. Because if you're in politics, obviously you're there for a reason, because you want to come and make a difference. And the reason why you want to make a difference if you're a Christian is probably uh, your worldview based upon your Christianity. And then to get to the point where you're there, and then somebody says, well, you shouldn't uh, have policy based upon your worldview, then that is really cutting the legs out from under somebody. And even from a judge, I think a judge does have, you know, I mean, they're, they're people. They have a... a a, a system of belief that will affect the way uh, they render their verdicts. And as far as politicians go, I think, for instance, a politician who is pro-life, if they're a Christian, they're pro-life probably because they believe we've been created in the image of God. Therefore, their faith in God, their commitment to Christ, affects how they would go about formulating policy. Uh, Religious liberty we believe that we should have certain rights. As a matter of fact, our Constitution lets us know that we have uh, certain inalienable rights that have been given to us by our Creator. Our rights are not given to us by government. Our rights have been given to us us by government, and it is the role of government government not to infringe upon our God-given rights. Uh, I think also you probably have the support of Israel when, uh, uh, say, an evangelical who is in politics, they want to support the nation of Israel. I believe that there's probably a a biblical foundation for why they would want to support the nation of Israel. So when you say we need to separate our faith from our our politics, I I think that's going to be very, very hard to do. But the church should be separate from the state. But individual politicians, they're going to be driven driven by some worldview. Uh, And people who are on the judiciary, they're going to be driven by some worldview. It's, It's just human nature. So anyway, with all that said, that's kind of how I'm going to segue into Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel is a captive. Uh, He has been put in exile. He's in Babylonian exile. If you don't know all the historical context, you can go back to last week's podcast and it'll kind of get you up to speed. But he was taken in exile in 597 B.C., and when he writes this, it's into his fifth year. He's at 593 B.C. He's in captivity, tells us the month, the day when he saw this vision of God. It's an incredible, incredible vision, this wheel within a wheel, this chariot uh, with you know the form of a man on it, which we believe that would be a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And something's going to happen to him. Now, he's a captive, he's 30 years of age, he's a priest, but he can't, Perform any roles as a priest because he's an exile. He can't get back to Jerusalem. And in just seven years from when he's had this vision, the temple in Jerusalem will be torn down. So you still have Jews living in Jerusalem at this time. They're under Babylonian domination. The Babylon the Babylonians had defeated the Jews, but as of yet, they have not torn down the walls around the city and they've not destroyed the temple. They have a king there. His king Zedekiah. But the Jews that are in exile, they only recognize the previous king who is with them in exile, and his name is Jehoiachin. And so this is a situation in which Ezekiel finds himself. He, he sees this vision, this vision of God, this will within a will, this voice, everything's happening. Here's hears a voice, speaks to him. Uh, he falls down, and, and here's what happens after he falls down. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, And he said to me, the God... Who's in this vision? He says, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children, I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, "...whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house." He says, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. So here's this vision, God speaking to Ezekiel, who's the priest, and now he's becoming a prophet. And God said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to my people. And you're going to speak the words that I give you. I'm giving you this message, but the people that I'm sending you to, they are impotent and they're rebellious. They're, they're hard-hearted and they're hard-headed. Their heart does not want to obey God and they're going to be stubborn in their disobedience. They view the will of God, the Word of God is as irrelevant. But you know what, Ezekiel, I am sending you to these people. And when they look at you, those looks that they're going to give you, those looks can cut you. And the words that they're going to say to you, the, the words, they're gonna be like thorns and, and briars, and you're gonna be like in the midst of scorpions. Now I don't know about you, but if, if I know thorns and briars are somewhere, I'm gonna avoid going there. I don't wanna just walk through somewhere where there's a bunch of thorns and briars. I mean, it's not something you, you do of your own volition. You wanna avoid thorns and briars. And, and a scorpion, I don't know about you, but I've been stung by a scorpion before. I put on my pants, had a, a scorpion in my pants, and boy, who, man, that strong. I don't want to be around scorpions. I, if I had a, you know, a choice, I'd be somewhere where scorpions aren't. But God says to Ezekiel, He said, "I'm gonna give you this message. The people you're going to speak it to, they're gonna be hard-hearted. They're gonna be hard-headed. It's gonna be like you're in the midst of thorns and briars and scorpions. It's gonna be rough." But I'm giving you a message, and you need to speak the message that I give to you. Do not be rebellious like the people and not speak my message. Ezekiel, speak the message that I give to you. Now, you know, let's face it. Everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to have a good message to tell people. But God has given this message to Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel, you're going to have to say what I tell you to say, and nothing more and nothing less. You know, I think I can say this with pretty much certainty in the world in which we live today in the 21st century. We have a message, the message of Scripture, the message of the gospel. It's not going to always be popular. We're going to have people that don't want to hear that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And somebody said, Marty, do you think Jesus is the only way of salvation? Well, it doesn't matter what I think, but I know that the Bible says, Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So according to the words of Jesus, he is... The only way of salvation. And so we have this message that, that is a message of salvation. It's a, it's a good message. It's a, it's a great message, but it is a message uh, that provokes anger. It's a message that brings division. But we have a message that we, we need to proclaim, that we have been given the authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end, of the, day, the end of the age. So we have a message that we're supposed to proclaim. And, and we're supposed to proclaim the implications of the gospel as well. Now, for somebody to accept the gospel, they have to realize that they're a sinner. That, that's a kind of a negative message, right? When you tell somebody to repent, that means you're doing something wrong and you've got to, you've got to ask God's forgiveness for that. You've got to admit that what you're doing is wrong. See, that was the message of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist went out, he was telling everybody, hey, repent, repent. Jesus' first message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, you know, when people hear a message that says, okay, you're doing something wrong, you need to change, and you accept what God says, then a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people view that message as negative. Now, let me just kind of say this. Several years ago, uh, there were those who wanted to present or a, present a, I don't know what they were thinking, a kinder, gentler Christianity, which meant that the previous Christianity was not kinder and gentler. Uh, you know but that's be that what it is. I, I do think we had some guys that probably said some things, maybe in, in the way they shouldn't, we needed to say things with more love and more kindness. I mean we need to be loving, we need to be kind and, and that goes without saying. But I, one of the tracks that these people took, And they said, you know, we don't need to tell people what we're against. We need to tell people what we're for. And I'm like, well, you know, you're going to have to take out a whole lot of the Bible if you if you say what what you're not against. It's not what you're against. It's what Scripture says. So it's not like I'm against something or I'm for something. All I can do is I can faithfully tell you what the Bible says. And there are certain things in the Bible that are wrong, and there are certain things that the Bible says are right. Uh, You know, that that's just how it is. And it's not that I'm, you know, giving you my personal opinion. But I think that that was kind of a wrong-headed approach because what that did is there are certain issues in our culture today, and I've mentioned before in the podcast, that needed to be addressed. And there were pastors that, when they were given an opportunity— I'm talking about pastors in the forefront, pastors in the public eye, and they would be given the opportunity. The big issue was same-sex marriage. And I cannot tell you how many of them just absolutely would not address the issue. Well, God's not called me to do that. God's not called me to address that thing God's told you called you to be a faithful witness and we're given an opportunity to say not your opinion but what does the bible say and that's what I that's what I always try to tell people you know when you're asked a question like that just say look my opinion is not that important what i think really doesn't matter but here's what the bible says and when you tell them what the bible says and that puts the issue between them and god it puts the issue between them and the bible not you in the middle of it but i can say hey my opinion really doesn't matter that much. But Scripture says this, and I believe what Scripture says. And, and so that's where I get what I, what, you know, what I believe. I get it from there. And so I think if we take that approach, I, I think we'll be a lot more successful. But as I mentioned, there were those that said, you know, we need to tell people what we're for and not what we're against. My goodness, what are you going to do? Do away with eight of the Ten Commandments? Uh, what are you going to do about all the stuff that's in the epistles? Well, believe me, they found a way to to make everything positive, and everything is 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 positive, and people aren't really convicted. So a lot of times, people are are stirred, but they're not changed, or or they get kind of a little bit moved, but they've they're not uh, convicted, and so the lasting change that needs to take place doesn't take place because people are not are not convicted, and they're not changed, but they're stirred, and that's one of the things you know in our day to day. One of the, You know, this is just me, you know, my personal opinion. Uh, now, this is personal opinion. I, I, I love worship. I love you know, the, the worship courses, worship songs. They're fantastic. Love them. But one of the things that I did notice is that there were churches that I knew were not faithfully preaching the Word. And yet they would have these, um, you know, these worship services that were very emotive, very emotive worship service, a very experiential worship service. And people's hearts would be stirred. But then there would be a, a biblically insuffi- insufficient message that would be accompanied with that. So you had people stirred, and and then a really watered down biblical message that was accompanied with that emotive worship experience, and I just yeah, I think long term effects about of that are not good. I really do. That's why hey, let's have great worship. Let's have emotive worship, but let's 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 accompany that emotive worship with Biblically sound teaching that does not does does not shy away from anything. That's why when you preach through the Bible, you know there are topics in the Bible I wouldn't regularly want to talk about, but you know I come across them. Hey, I got to tell you what the Bible says. It's not for me to give you my opinion. It's for me to tell you. Here's what the Bible says. This is what Scripture says. And when you do that, you are being faithful to the message and to the assignment that God's given you. Now, Ezekiel was being told by God, look, I'm going to give you a message, and it's not going to be popular. As a matter of fact, the looks that the people are going to give you are going to be bad. and the words, they're going to sting like thorns and briars, and you're going to be like in the midst of scorpions. But he says, don't you be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I want you to share my message. I want you to be faithful to say what I've told you to say. So here's how it goes down. In verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, This is Ezekiel, he says, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it out before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, Feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. It's very interesting. Think about it. All of a sudden, God hands him this scroll, and it's written on this parchment. And it's rolled up. And he opens the scroll, and it's written on front and back. Now, during that time, you only read, you only wrote on one side of the scroll, but it's written on both sides. There's nothing else you could add to it, and it's chock full. And God said, "I want you to eat the scroll. Here, devour. You know, you ever heard of? Hey, he devoured that book." Ezekiel, he really devoured the book. I mean, he ate it. And basically what it, what it shows us is that he totally assimilated that message. You know, when you eat something, you totally assimilate it. You totally receive it into your into your body, into yourself. He, he assimilated that message into him. And so here this message is, is he's taken it in. I mean, totally committed himself to it. He ate the scroll. And he said, sweetness to my taste. And he said, now, these words are in you. And these words are going to be filtered through Ezekiel's personality. And it's like uh, what the old definition of preaching is, is communication of truth through personality. Tr- preaching is communicating truth through personality. So now this truth is going to be communicated through the person of Ezekiel. God was going to communicate it through his personality, communicate it through him. He has assimilated that word. The Spirit has has indwelled him. And now he he's given the task. And he's told, look, if you were going to go to some foreign people, they'd listen to you. But you're going to go to people you know. You're going to the captives, to your fellow Jews. Here's what he says in verse 7. He says, But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead, do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears, and go get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So he says, go speak Speak my word. Speak my word to you fellow captives. Even though they're hard-hearted, even though they're hard-headed, I'm going to make your, you're you're going to be more hard-headed than they are. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you the courage. And as hard as they are, you're going to be harder. You're going to be able to take it. I'm going to give you the strength to stand and deliver this message. He says, well, I want you to receive this message into your heart that I speak to you, and I want you to hear it with your ears. I I want you to totally commit yourself to it, and I want you to speak it. And he commissions Ezekiel to go speak his word and go to the captives. He says, whether they hear or or whether they refuse. In other words, Ezekiel is not your responsibility how they respond, but it's your responsibility to tell them, to communicate to them. And you've got to have courage to do it. Well, I tell you what, in our day-to-day, we need men and women with courage And, you know, I see some of these men and women standing in the public arena, and they have incredible courage. And let me just tell you this. I've mentioned this before. When you put yourself in the public arena, and you stand for truth, and you communicate what God says, you better, you better be able to take it. And you better pray for God to give you courage and God to give you strength. Because when you step in that public arena, either you put your big boy britches on, or you get a pair of Depends, or whatever you need, but... You're going to need something because you're going to have to stand and you're going to have to take it. Now, I mentioned before when I went over and did that documentary over in Scandinavia, and, you know, I was, you know I've i had people say kind of, you know, a little bit mean stuff to me before, but, man, when, I, when I, the response I got to that was you take meanness and, and you exponentially do whatever you want to to it, man, it's boom. That's what I got. I mean, you talk about mean. And the response, and you just have to learn to say, you know what, I I I can get a tough skin, but I'll keep a I'll keep a tender heart. But you know, you got to have you got to have some tough skins. You got to be able to take it. and You got to be a good sport about it too. You know, you've got to be able to take it. So if you're going to put yourself out there, and if you're going to be salt and light, you can't get your feelings hurt. You got to understand, the battle is not yours. The truth is not yours. It's God's truth. You're a messenger. You're an ambassador for Christ. You represent the kingdom of heaven. And God's called you to go and be salt and light to this world. But if, if you make it all about you, you'll, you'll get your feelings hurt. You will. And if you're someone who gets your feelings hurt easy, you're going to have a hard time, especially in the day in which we live, because you've got, to be willing, you've got to be willing to take it. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of things going around nowadays, a lot of words get passed, a lot of things get said about people. So you gotta be able to, you got to be able to take it, but we need people in the, in the public arena. We need people to stand for truth. People that know, you know what, I'm probably going to get some backlash on this. I'm probably going to get some ugly emails and response and all this kind of stuff, but you know what, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me, it's about me being faithful to, to speak the words that He gives me to speak. Now, I need to speak with kindness, and I need to speak with love, but I don't need to apologize for anything God ever says. I need to be faithful to the message. And we need, especially pastors, we need pastors to faithfully stand on God's word. When you're asked about the exclusivity of Christ, when you're asked about human sexuality, you say, you know what? Here's what the Bible says. And you're not ashamed to say it. You're not reticent. You're not coy. You say it just straight up, just what the Bible says. I choose to be believe what scripture says. Ezekiel's being given a message. Ezekiel, here's what you need to say. You're going to go to people. They don't want to hear it. It's going to be negative. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to have your picture on Time Magazine. uh, It doesn't do any good to to read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People because this is going to be rough. It's going to be briars and thorns and scorpions. But I'm giving you my message. I'm giving you my assignment. So here's what happens. Verse 12, it says, The Spirit lifted me up, and I heard the, behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another. See, this in this vision, and the noise of the wheels beside them in a greater thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me, then I came to the, to the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them for seven days. So after he gets this vision from the Lord and this assignment, God sits him down on there, the river Kibar, and he's amongst the captives, the exiles. He says, I went in bitterness and in the heat of my spirit. He was bitter and angry. Now there's some you know okay how was this directed but let's just say this he was emotionally unsettled he when you have bitter when you talk about bitter and, and anger uh, he's emotionally unsettled he was 30 years of age prime of his life and he's being told you're going to be given an assignment and it's going to be rough but you need to be faithful to do what I've called you to do much like when Isaiah was called in Isaiah chapter six. Uh, who shall I send who should go with me go for me he said I'll go Lord the Lord said well I'm giving you an assignment and I want you to know the more you say the less people hear the more you show them the less they'll see and the more you explain to them the less they'll understand and I want you to keep doing it Ezekiel's being given an assignment and he's being told it's going to be rough you're, the reaction that you're going to receive is going to be rough but I want you to be faithful to do what I've asked you to do so here is Prime of his life, 30 years of age. And he goes to where the captives are, and he just sits there for a week, just processing it, just man, just sitting among the captives and just like, oh, okay, this is what I've been called to do. This is what I've been called to do. And he's got to have the wherewithal to do it because the ministry that God was given to that man was extremely important. And let me say that the ministry that God has given you to do is also extremely important. You know, God may ask you sometimes to do something that you feel like is beyond you that is more than what you can do. That's okay. That means you need, God, you need God's help. And that's where God wants you to be. To have that reliance upon Him, to have that reliance upon His Holy Spirit. And I believe God wants you to be like that. And so nothing's wrong with that. But the thing is this. If God calls you to do something, you need to be faithful to do it. Even when it's when you know, hey, if I do this, I know that it's going to present problems. If I speak truth into this person's life, I know that there will be problems. I know that there will be a, a pushback. Well, if God's called you to do it, then you need to do it. Well, you know, if I address this, if I address this topic, this cultural topic, and I do it in the context of the group that I'm in, uh, then it's going to make things uncomfortable. Well, maybe God's called you to make things uncomfortable. Ezekiel was being called to ministry. He was being called to a task that was not going to be pleasant. He was being called to a task that was going to be so difficult that God said, you know what, I'm going to make your forehead like flint. I'm going to make you have a hard forehead because the people you're going to be talking to, they're going to have hard foreheads, but your forehead's going to be harder, and you're going to be able to take it, and you're going to be able to do what I tell you to do. And I want you to be faithful. Now I want to ask you, are you faithful to what God's called you to do? Are you faithful? Our nation needs you to be faithful to God. Our nation needs you. I mean, we. our nation needs Christians to be faithful to live the lives that God's called us to live because God's placed us in this nation. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost, but also we are citizens of this earth, and we're citizens of the United States of America. And let's, let's do the best we can. When we leave this life, let's leave this life saying, you know what? I gave it my best shot. You know what? I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't concerned as much what people thought. I was more concerned about what God thought. I didn't want to be a man-pleaser, I wanted to be a God-pleaser. Because the Bible says, you know, you can't please the world and please God at the same time. I'd rather please God. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said, you're going to hate one and love the other. So I want to just challenge you today as we leave today. I want to challenge you to make sure you're serving the right master. To make sure you're not a man-pleaser, but you're a God-pleaser. And sometimes when you're a God-pleaser, it's going to put you at odds with people. But you know, I'd rather be pleasing God and living the life that He's called for me to live... Than to please man and dishonor God. I want to thank you right now for being with me on the Marty McLean podcast this week. I hope you have a a great week, and I hope to see you next time on the Marty McLean podcast. (laughs)